Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, welcome to Grumlaw Church. We are so thankful that all of you have decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week. We certainly don't take that for granted, especially if it is your first time joining us. Thank you for giving us a shot. Thank you for giving us a chance. Uh, our hope and our prayer is that you will keep coming back. You will keep exploring, keep moving closer to God, and he will always move closer to you. Uh, today we are heading into part three of a series that we have been walking through during the month of July called God of Miracles. Uh, perhaps I may be a little bit biased, but I feel like we have gotten off to a pretty incredible start to the series. So if you have not been with us for parts one or two, I would highly encourage you to catch yourself up at grumlaw.com messages or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab those podcasts. Uh, I feel this is especially important uh, this summer as so many of us are kind of in and out more than we would maybe normally be at other points throughout the year. Uh, if you call this place your church home, make a commitment to never miss a week. If you're not able to join us in person, make sure you're jumping online. And if you're not even able to join us online, make sure you are listening to these messages at other points throughout the week that you are staying connected here to this faith community uh, and the teachings that come straight from Jesus himself. Uh, this is one of the great opportunities that technology affords us. Let's take advantage of it. Now, just in case you have missed those first couple of weeks, here is why we are taking the month of July to focus on miracles. Number one, uh, God still performs miracles. That the miraculous was not reserved for a specific time in history, for a specific group of people. God still very much performs the miraculous. And, and examining these miracles that, that have been preserved for us, by the way, remind us that God still very much works in this way. R remember, God does not change. So when something is revealed about him within the pages of Scripture, we're learning something about God that will always be true, that is still very much true today. And then number two, God employs miracles to reveal himself, his character, and his purposes to, to us. Miracles are very much for us, not him. Miracles not so subtly put us in our place, reminding us that we are merely the creation and he is the creator. God doesn't need to remind himself of his power and of his authority, but, but he knew that we would need to be reminded. And, and by examining some of these miracles, we can learn more about God, his character, his purposes, and the great lengths that God will go to in order to grab the attention of his most prized creation, you and me. That the, the God of the universe is on an endless pursuit after you. And for some of you, that's maybe all you need to hear this morning, that the God of the universe is absolutely crazy about you. He's not turned off by your sin. He's not put off by your past. God likes you. He loves you. And he longs to be close to you. Now, before we dive in today's miracle, before we go any further, uh, I would like to just pray for all of us and pray that our hearts would be softened and open to whatever it is that, that God is asking you to receive here today. So allow me to do that now. God, we thank you uh, that even though you are a God who obviously possesses almighty power and authority, 
you came down, you dwelt among us, uh, you desire to be close to us, you desire to have a relationship with each of us. We thank you, God, that these miracles show your character, your purposes in this world, that they reveal new things about you, and I think cause us to, to fall even more in love with you. And so I pray, God, that whatever it is that you want to say to each of us today, whoever's listening right now, uh, we'd just be open to receiving that. We'd have softened hearts ready to receive whatever it is that, again, the God of the universe wants to speak to us today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, a theme that you've likely picked up on, if you've ever picked up and read this book that we call The Bible for Yourself, which, by the way, I would highly encourage you doing that. It, it never ceases to amaze me what people presuppose is documented in this book. And if you've never read it before, just start reading about Jesus, his life, how he interacted with people, how he treated even the lowest of society, that the pace he moved about life. You might be surprised by what you find. You can read all about the life of Jesus right there at the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But a theme that we see throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament, the first half, and in the New Testament, the second half, is God taking the very ordinary the very commonplace, and, and using it for so much more. Last week, for instance, we saw God literally take a bronze snake and use it as the instrument to heal people. A mere passing glance would heal you of your, your, your snake bite. In, in the creation account found in Genesis, we see God take the rib of Adam to form woman, Eve. All of the guys are very thankful for that. Jesus himself gathered a bunch of nobodies together, tax collectors and fishermen and tent makers to carry the most important message in the history of the world to the ends of the earth. And apparently they, they did a good job because we're still talking about him today. Here's why I bring this up and why I feel like this will resonate with so many people who are watching right now. Dare I say everyone watching right now. One of the most common sentiments that I hear from people not only from people within this church, but in this community, at the bus stop, chatting with neighbors, in groups that I lead, you name it, is this posture, this sentiment of, I'm just not exciting enough. I'm just not exciting enough. And how this posture of, my life is just too ordinary, too average, too mundane, debilitates and paralyzes us, is pretty extraordinary. I'm just not exciting enough to apply for that promotion. I'm just not exciting enough to share my story and get baptized. I'm, I'm just not exciting enough to ask her out. I'm just not exciting enough to be selected. I, I could literally go on and on and do this all morning. And it sounds familiar, right? But, but fortunately for us, God loves taking the ordinary the average, the, the not exciting enough and using it for the extraordinary in order to display his glory. And, and we will certainly see this theme continue in the miracle that we're gonna be exploring this morning, which we conveniently find in the book of John. Now again, John is one of those books that I just alluded to uh, that document just the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is actually one of the 12 disciples, one of these guys who had a front row seat to Jesus' entire earthly ministry, including the miracle that we're going to be exploring this morning, which we find in John chapter 9. There it says, as Jesus was walking along, he, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, which is just a way of saying teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, this right here is a far deeper question than what it appears to be on the surface. 
This is actually a question that every single one of you have actually asked at many different times throughout your life, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike. See, this question is actually a question about suffering. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Why the natural disaster? Why the global poverty? Why that diagnosis? How come she got healed and he didn't? How come he seems to be offered every advantage and I have to work so hard for everything? It's a question of reconciling our experiences and what we perceive to be just and fair, what we perceive to be right and wrong. Who right now, maybe show of hands, has asked these types of questions before? I obviously can't see what's happening on the other side of these screens, but I'm guessing that that's just about everyone. So come on, this is significant. Jesus, and even if you haven't embraced him as your savior, as the son of God, you still ought to be curious regarding his answer. At the very least, he was an exceedingly wise teacher. I mean, nobody denies that. And Jesus, as he so often would, he leans into the question. He leans into their fears, their hesitations. And he doesn't merely answer the question, but he provides a real-life staring-right-at-you example of exactly what he meant. Jesus surprisingly says, well, it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins. And this would have had the entire crowd leaning in. Because at this point in history, and you might have gathered this just by the way the question was asked, that there was a commonly held belief that if you were plagued with some type of physical ailment, in this case, the, the man had been born blind, it, it was because of something that either you did wrong or something a parent or relative had done wrong. It, it was an eye for an eye, tit for tat culture. You do something wrong, God is obviously going to punish you or somebody that you are close to. God is the brash, judgmental kid holding the magnifying glass, and you're the ant dodging the sun's condensed rays. And for a number of you who are sitting and watching this right now, that this has long been your view of God as well. God's picking on you. God is paying you back. And over time, for some of you, that's, that's resulted in a pity party that's lasted for years, perhaps even generations. For others of you, it's caused you to raise your middle finger to God and bid him farewell. After all, who needs that pious jerk looking over your shoulder all the time? But, but Jesus is about to show the disciples and in turn all of us something much different. That, that perhaps we've taken religious people and, and some of their ugliest attributes and, and transposed some of those qualities on to God. That, that perhaps we've given God a not-so-fair rap, assuming what we've heard about him as opposed to what we've actually observed about him. And church, this is the beauty of Jesus. In him, we see God personified, God in a bod. We don't have to speculate about what God is like. We can actually read the documented accounts that show us what God is like. Jesus continues, he says again, it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins. No, no, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. And come on, if Jesus stops right here, 
but for the most part, these are just empty words. I mean, the disciples, they knew them. They, they, they might politely nod their heads and chew on these rather profound words, this rather profound teaching, but most of the crowd, and come on, even most of us, we're just quick to dismiss them because they're words. I mean, we've heard the religious person grandstand about this stuff before. God will be glorified. You're suffering to make too much to do about God. God is the light of the world. God is love. God is present in your suffering just as much as he is present in your joy. Blah, 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 blah. But before the crowd can collectively roll their eyes and walk away, perhaps before you roll your eyes and dismiss Jesus, then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Jesus takes spit and dirt and together forms mud. I mean, think about this. It, it could not get more ordinary than this. Seriously, I, I challenge you to think about this very logically. Can you think of anything less exciting, more ordinary, more mundane than dirt and saliva? He, he takes these two extraordinarily ordinary things and chooses to use these to display his glory. He told him, after spreading this mud on his eyes, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. A man who had been blind for his entire life. And so no longer does Jesus' statement about the power of God being seen in him feel like deflection? No longer are these just empty words. Jesus has brought those words to life. He didn't just teach us, he showed us. Not only the compassion that he has for people just like me and you, but in the person of Jesus, we are shown who God is. God is kind. He is gentle. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He, he cares deeply about you and me. He, he, right alongside you, cares deeply about you and what keeps you up at night, what it is that dominates your thoughts. He, he grieves when you grieve. He celebrates when you celebrate. When something is causing you pain, it causes him pain as well. We cannot even appreciate the number of people and religious people at that on this day whom had already walked past this blind man. But Jesus sees him. He takes notice of him. He has tremendous compassion for him. And he seeks to make him well. Church, this is tremendously important. Please don't miss this. A seminal moment in all of our faith journeys comes about when we wrestle to the ground the questions, does God know? And probably more importantly, does he care? Think about it. Isn't this why we worry? Isn't this why we 
lay awake at night endlessly scrolling through what-ifs? We're not sure if God knows. And, And worse yet, we're not sure if He cares. And friends, you don't need to take my word for it. And definitely don't speculate about what God is like. You can see for yourself exactly what God is like. You can see for yourself exactly who God is for yourself when you pick up and you read about this love in action in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The answer to these questions is almost incessantly answered here and elsewhere. God knows. God cares. See, if he didn't know, more importantly, if he didn't care, he certainly wouldn't have sent his son. Jesus, brutally tortured and audaciously murdered on a cross once and for all, answers these questions to a degree that we will never be able to fully appreciate. He knows and he cares so much that he gave his life for you. It's exactly what Jesus is getting at in what is undeniably the most popular passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. For this is how God loved the world. He didn't talk about it. He gave. He showed us. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, God in the flesh, not only answers once and for all the question of does God know, does he care, he actually takes it a step further. See, like this man who is healed in this story, we all have an ailment that's been plaguing us since we first stepped onto this earth. It's it's called sin. It's been wreaking havoc on ourselves and all the people around us ever since. It continually leads us towards that which will ultimately cause us harm and away from that which will lead to life, joy, and peace. This is something we're all chasing after. And as hard as it is to admit, we all live in a state of perpetual blindness. Blind to the extent of the damage that sin causes in our lives and to those around us. Blind to what is good, blind to what is just, blind to what is best for me, blind to what is best for you, blind to what will bring me true joy and satisfaction. But Jesus, because he cares so deeply about you and wants what is best for you, comes along and he offers us a way back to him. The only one who can bring us that joy, that peace, that satisfaction that we're all after. And the way that that relationship is healed is almost incomprehensibly simple. He offered his life for you so that whoever, what? Whoever follows these steps, whoever stops doing that, whoever starts doing this, so that everyone who believes in him, that's it. Everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. This is a far cry from the religious, judgmental, spiteful hypocrite 
that, that God has perhaps been painted to be. God seems to be a lot more like the patient, easily interruptible, gentle, kind father who slows down enough to notice your pain, then cares enough about you to actually do something about it. Now, a couple of very, very practical points that I'd like to leave all of us with today. Number one, just not that exciting is just how God likes it. Yet <laughs> God loves making a spectacle of the ordinary, the mundane, the average. He, he, in fact, does it all throughout the pages of Scripture. Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, twice betrays his wife as his sister rather than his bride. Moses, the man destined to lead the Israelites out from slavery under the Egyptians, killed a man and had a speech impediment. Esther, a woman at a time in history when women had zero rights, preserved God's chosen people as a Jew living in a pagan nation. Daniel, a victim of human trafficking, rose to the second most powerful person in a pagan nation, not once, but twice. David, widely considered to be the greatest king to have ever lived, was quite literally the runt of the litter and later covered up an affair by having the husband of his adulteress killed. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul was a tent maker, apparently none too impressive to the eye, and by his own admission, a lousy communicator. Throughout Scripture, the history books, and right here in present day, God seems to go almost out of his way to use those who seem none too impressive to the world to display his glory. And that's not an accident. God will not share his glory. His name will be magnified. He humbles the proud and he lifts up the lowly. So you, child of God, if you feel ordinary, if you feel not all that exciting, you completely fit the bill for whom God wants to use to display his glory. And number two, where might God be creating a so that moment in your life? God freely gave his one and his only son so that we may experience eternal life. He took the painfully ordinary saliva and dirt to not only heal a man who had been blind from birth, but to also display his mercy, his kindness, and show the crowd and in turn all of us exactly who God is. That no longer is this left a speculation. We get to witness love and action. I, I want to make sure that this is very, very clear. I, I have no idea what you're going through right now. Why you're experiencing what it is that you're experiencing why there's so much pain, so much worry. But I promise you that God longs to use even that to make his glory known. He knows, he cares, and oftentimes I get it, it feels like we're endlessly waiting. We want answers and we're tired of being in the thick of it. When will we experience some reprieve in this account that we're examining today, remember that this man had been blind from birth. That The insinuation in the text is, is that he was well into adulthood, 30, 40, 50 years as a blind beggar. Why wasn't he healed sooner? Why did it take this long for Jesus to come along? How many times did he cry out to God? How desperate must have he been to be healed? But what was true of him is just as true for you. God longs to use even that to make his glory known. 
to, to, to display his power. And, and right now in this message, I just kind of want to pause and just give some space for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. For you to really tackle this question, where might God be creating a so that moment in your life? Where do you need to declare, truly God, your will be done? Which often looks a lot different from our will and, and our plan. What do you need to hand over to God? What do you need to place in his hands? The hands of the God that certainly knows and cares more than you can possibly imagine. So I just invite you to take this next little bit of space, this next little bit of time to just fall at the feet of Jesus. There you will find rest. There you will find peace. And ask him, hey, where might God you be creating a so that moment in my life? I feel like at this point I'm, I'm hard-pressed to go a week without sharing at least something about uh, my wife and I's experience with our adoption of our third son. If you're getting sick of hearing about this, I'm sorry, but it just <laughs> it comes so central to mind. And, and as I was preparing and, and, and studying and asking the Holy Spirit what he wanted me to share for this specific message, I, I couldn't help but think to the fact that there have been so many times over the last couple of years where my wife and I have cried out to God again and again and again and again, why is this taking so long? God, why aren't you doing something sooner? Like, why, why haven't you brought this to fruition yet? Why isn't this working out the way that everybody else seems to agree it should be working out? And so many times, God has answered that question in ways too numerous to count at this point. Like, God, why are you taking so long for this to just be done? Well, maybe so that Oakley's biological mother, her daughter, and mother might hear the gospel. So that I might develop greater compassion for those living in addiction. So that his story might shine an even brighter light on foster care and adoption. So that my entire family might experience greater intimacy with God as we fall to our knees just begging God to move. See, so often we, we look at moments or even seasons of pain and affliction through a negative lens rather than opportunities to grow our faith and our confidence in Jesus. This is exactly what Paul was talking about in his letter to the early Christian church in Rome. He says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. 
for, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. We know for certain because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He has given us that comforter, the Holy Spirit, to, to, to walk with us, before us, after us. See, Paul was a guy who, who we know these were not just empty words because he faced more trials than any person who's watching right now. And, and he didn't look to those experiences and frustration and self-pity. He, he viewed them as the defining moments of his faith in Jesus. It was precisely those moments that solidified and galvanized his faith in Christ. Church, the reward is him. The reward is God. Our reward on this earth isn't that life will be all roses and rainbows. No, in fact, Jesus actually goes out of his way to tell us that we should expect trials. We should expect trouble. We should expect suffering. He, he very clearly tells us and shows us that the reward is him. Deep intimacy with our heavenly father, the God of the universe who is absolutely crazy about you. And it's in those seasons of brokenness that a real relationship has the opportunity to actually be formed where we desperately cling to and draw close to our risen Savior. Every single one of us have met those people who, who seem to have an unshakable faith, an unwavering confidence in God that, that, that almost feels too good to be true. That intimacy, that confidence, that hope, that faith was not born out of seasons where everything was going great, but rather through the valleys. When, when everything, circumstantially speaking, was going terribly and it moved them to submission, surrender at the feet of Jesus. This is why Jesus himself tells us, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you you rest. He longs to provide you with that peace that surpasses all understanding, that calm, that contentment that your soul yearns for. But that's not something that's born out of an instant or a single emotional moment here on a Sunday morning. It comes from repeatedly falling at the feet of Jesus and begging for his comfort and begging for his embrace, recognizing that he alone can provide for our deepest yearnings and our deepest desires. He will always meet you there. I don't know why you're going through whatever it is that you're going through right now. But I promise you, God longs to tack so that on the end of it. So that you might experience deeper intimacy and love with your Savior. Your reward is Him.